I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Selecting goal races for the upcoming year. We just came out of our fall racing season and a lot of people are starting to think about what their goals are going to be next year or even in the spring. Now is a really good time to start planning for what you want to do next year with your running. Maybe you are realizing that the course that you selected this fall was a little bit more challenging than you wanted or the weather that day just was not ideal. We have so many things that are already uncontrollable when it comes to race day that it's really nice to try to select races that you would have a very low chance for something going wrong like the weather being bad or it being a tougher course with hills or whatnot. Um, So we're gonna be chatting about different variables that you would wanna look at when you're selecting these races. And of course, a lot of this podcast is catered to an athlete who wants to set a uh, faster marathon time or they're looking to have a performance-related goal. I know there's a lot of different um, goals within the sport of running and in time goals or running your fastest times um, isn't necessarily the motivation that everyone has. And so in some cases, you might be looking for harder courses. You might be looking for a bit more of a challenge in your running. Maybe that's through doing a trail race or through doing Um, something that's in the heat of the summer, that sort of thing. So maybe that wouldn't apply to you, but for this specific podcast, we're talking about if you really want to run, say, a fast time or you're looking for a PR, Boston qualifier, that sort of thing. So if you're trying to reach some sort of performance-related goal with your running and you really want to run a faster time or your time (laughs) really matters to you, which... For the majority of people that we coach and that we interact with on social media and whatnot, that seems to be the case. And so that's really why we got the idea for this topic. The three main things you're going to want to look at when it comes to picking these faster courses is weather, course elevation, altitude, and then the competition. Um, We're looking at these factors. It's just really important because all of them coming together can make or break a racing experience for some people. So I thought we would just kick it off with some of our own personal experiences. I've done 22 marathons. You've done 10. Um, So we've done a variety of different types of marathons as well. So I 
always like to share stories that like I've done a couple of marathons that had less than 100 participants. Um, I think the smallest marathon I did was like under 50 actually. It was the inaugural year that they did it, the Wicked Marathon in Kansas in 2014. But I've also done um, a world major marathon. So I've done Boston and I've done, you know, pretty much anything in between size wise from a couple thousand to a couple hundred, that sort of thing. So Jason, talk to me a little bit about the different types of marathons that you've done in terms of participants um, or locations or whatnot and what you seem to thrive under because I know everyone has different ideal scenarios there. Yeah, I think my first couple were were uh, bigger marathons, like Twin Cities in Chicago, and then we went and did Vegas and stuff. So I think um, I have a lot of – I thrive off the, the energy of the crowds, and, and I like to go and travel just because I think it's just super exciting. You know, it really gives you something to look forward to and to motivate you to train, right, the entire training cycle if you have this – you know, this trip that you get to take um, in three, four or five months, whatever it is. And so for me, I always tried to find like a fall race because I, when I was teaching, it just worked out nice to have my summer to be able to train, right? And so that's actually another factor too you want to uh, keep in mind is if you have a busier time in your life, maybe that's not the best time to be training, right? So thinking about aligning your race calendar to like your, um, you know, your workday uh, balance calendar as well. So um, I think the smallest race I've done, let's see, for a marathon, Man, I don't even know. What do you think? I don't know if I've done any small marathons like you've done where yeah, it's really like 100, 250 people. I've done a few halves. I've done some of the same halves that you've done when you've done your marathons. Um, but, yeah, I mean, shoot, probably, um, yeah, because I've done CIM. I've done. Twin Cities, um, maybe. It's probably Disney. Is that? That one's probably smaller probably for the marathon. There's probably a thousand there, too. I mean, I think just a couple thousand is the smallest that you've done, which yeah. I feel like is pretty common, though, for a lot it of is. runners. A lot of people, you know, they want to go to the bigger the bigger races. And for me, it was like experiencing the city, right? So, like, we went to Las Vegas. We went to Orlando. We went to Chicago, um, California, Sacramento. We, and so I think it was just... Um, you know, for me, it was more of a destination. I want to do the big races. Um, and I... You know, for you, some of those smaller races that we we went to, a lot of times those weren't like races that you marked on the calendar six months out, right? right. There were things that you kind of thought about maybe, I don't know, a month, two, three months out, and then you, you decided to travel to them, so. Right. Well, and you brought something up that was important that I hadn't thought about before doing this podcast is thinking about um, the different things you have going on in your life in terms of how is this going to be compatible with marathon training. So like you said, for example, you were a teacher for almost a decade. And so it really made sense that you were going to do a fall marathon because you wanted to do a bulk of your training in the summer so that you didn't have to, you know, wake up super early and do all of these super long training runs on your weekends and stuff while you're teaching. And so I think for a teacher's schedule, if you're someone who maybe is in that same camp and you don't have kids because that was at a time where we didn't have right. kids, um, it, it maybe makes sense for you. So it's just about thinking about the variables at play and when is the best time for you to train for a marathon? When do you have the least amount of things going on? Um, I know some people, they just really don't like running in the summer. Um, mm -hmm. It's just something that they find challenging to do. And sometimes summer can be a really busy time for people, especially if you have like school-aged kids that are still 
relatively young where you kind of need to be entertaining them, I guess, or be be um, chauffeuring them from place to place, that sort of thing. So it can be a really busy time for parents, like if your kids are out of school, that sort of thing. Um, and so it's just about evaluating your life and figuring out like where is the best pocket of two months where we really don't have a lot going on. And I know in Minnesota, our winters are just brutal. And so a lot of people don't really like to train for spring marathons, but I've actually, I actually feel like spring marathons are sometimes better, at least for my life circumstance, because we just don't have a lot to do in that February, March time of year anyways. And yeah, the weather is not great and you're not really able to do all of your workouts necessarily outside or get them in because maybe there's an ice storm or a blizzard right. or something like that. But I think overall, it it just is a better time for me. And so knowing that about yourself and then trying to figure out like what is the best setup then? Like if February and March are the best time for you to marathon train, well, maybe we should find a marathon in April. And that's when some of these other factors really start to come into play. So how do you evaluate um, that sort of thing, maybe with your athletes or even with yourself personally? Yeah, I think um, depending on where athletes may live, like I have a lot of athletes in Florida, and you know, chances are they're not gonna have an A race between like June through October. Um, the races they might do during that time frame are just more just part of their training, right? And we're not gonna gear up specifically and, and try to set a PR. Um, and so if they're gonna do a marathon, it's probably gonna be sometime during the winter. And um, yeah, I think you know you brought up how I, I was all about fall races and I always told people like, hey, up here in the north, I thought fall racing gave you the best chance for good weather. Um, and I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me to like think about traveling, um, in the early spring months. Um, I was just, I just thought about, uh, you know, I did Twin Cities my first one. And then I was like, what, sh- what can I do the next year around the same time frame Cause we had really good weather, but a faster course. So I was like, okay, Chicago, that's gotta be it. Mm-hmm. And then I did Chicago and then, um, you know, I'd qualified for Boston. So had to sort of adjust expectations for a course like that. But I think depending on what race you're doing, it's sort of important to weigh, um, you know, what's more important? Is it experiencing the specific race or this destination, or is it running a certain time? And then maybe figuring out, setting a goal that's appropriate based on what you decide. Right, yeah, I think it's all about like, what is your goal for the race, right? And so I like how you brought up the Boston thing. So you ran two back-to-back faster times, and then it's like going out to Boston, it's tough because it's notoriously known for not being a fast course to begin with. And when I went to Boston, I think it was like my sixth or seventh marathon um, at the time. And every marathon before that had been faster than the previous. And so that's, I thought, no, I'm going to PR. Like I have to basically, even though um, like I knew it was a tough course, I just like went there with these expectations that maybe weren't um, realistic and definitely, you know, when they say heartbreak hills, like I definitely was a little heartbroken there at the finish. Um, you can still run a really fast time. So I only ran like 45 seconds slower than what my PR at the time was. But I think when we're talking about the Boston marathon course and doing courses like that, that are more like bucket lists. So I think a lot of people, when they run the Boston marathon, there's like two camps, right? There's people who are just going to like experience it, have fun, run, the race Mm -hmm. and then there's people who maybe had my attitude where they're like no I'm gonna PR like and I think it's more rare probably to find people that are like no I'm gonna PR Boston Um, because I think most people have those expectations set but I do think it's important to at least bring that to light because I feel it's not really talked about 
Yeah, you know, we've chosen some other races too that we've traveled to, like LA Marathon. My mm. my mind was blanking on that one, and you know, knowing that was kind of a tough course, but we just wanted to experience, you know, I think being there, and it was the year the trials were there, so that was a main motivator for going. But um, yeah, definitely adjusting expectations. I think for me that was probably like my fifth fifth marathon, and so I knew I wasn't going to PR, but um, I still wanted it to be better than my worst marathon, which was my third, I think. So it's just. Um, yeah, I think it's it's cool to think about destination. What's more important to you, I guess? You know, is it running fast or are you okay with um, running a certain race and then maybe um, going back and picking a faster course the next year? You know, that sort of thing. I know a lot of people maybe got into New York this year and so they ran that and now next year maybe they're going to think about doing something that's a bit faster. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a tough thing to think about because there's so many things you maybe have to compromise, right? So mm-hmm. when it, you come to having two different goals it's like you have these competing things that you want to do so maybe the first thing you want to do is you want to run a fast time but also at the same time like you said you want to visit these destinations you want to knock some of these races off of your bucket list so you're trying to do both at the same time and I've definitely been there I mean that's how I got to 22 marathons by the time I was uh, 30 um, it a lot of that boiled down to me wanting to do race these races like the LA marathon or like the Boston marathon which really was more motivated by the fact that I wanted to, they were like bucket list races for me. I wasn't necessarily going there because I knew it was a super fast course, if that makes sense. Um, But at the same time, you know, having those conflicting goals, I also did want to run fast. And so I think as runners, we really need to evaluate like what is more important to me? Is it more important that I travel, do this race, whatever? Or am I really, really trying to focus and hone in on running my fastest possible time? And so if you're in that later camp, which eventually I kind of like made that transition into, um, I'm pretty much only primarily focused on what course can I run a fast time on? Um, you start to kind of maybe shift into some of these things that we're going to talk about in terms of selecting your courses. Um, so if you're someone who's still like, no, I, I want to travel, I want to do these bucket list races, okay, maybe that might be your priority. But if your priorities do ever shift to you really want to run a fast time and that seems to be the priority to you, I think that's when we start looking at some of these factors and we start thinking about how can we prep. Um, and the reason that I bring this up is in 2016, I ran four marathons and they were all I think subsequently slower each time, but each time I posted to social media, because I'm one of those people who shares a lot of my running on social media, um, I would I posted, oh, you know, it was so hot at this race, because it was the LA Marathon, and I was like, oh, it was so hot and sunny, and I wasn't used to it, because I live in Minnesota, and we haven't had that exposure. So everyone watching is like listening and hearing. And then the next race I did was the Boston Marathon. So again, it was a warm year that year and so I posted oh it was so hot it was warm and whatever and then again I did grandma's marathon and it actually ended up being black flag condition so it was extremely hot very humid <clears throat> and it's in June and so I posted and I was like oh it was terrible like it was so hot I just I can't catch a break this year with races and I remember someone commenting and saying like, if you really care mm. about your performances that much, why are you doing these races where it could potentially be hot? Right. And I just mm. kind of paused and at first, my initial inclination was like, oh, what a jerk. Like, why would someone say that? But then I'm like, no, that is a good point. It's like, why am I getting so upset over something that I actually kind of had some control over? 
Um, and so since then, even in 2021, I was signed up for a marathon. It was a very fast course. It was supposed to be a cool day. Um, looking at the weather forecast six days out, I saw it was going to be 70 or 80 degrees at the start and we canceled flights, canceled hotel. And I was like, I'm not doing that race. Um, so I, we did a different race that was, um, more local. Like we drove six hours. So I know some people maybe wouldn't go to those extremes, but for me personally, I just was like, I didn't train for this marathon, this event to do it in 80 degrees. Right. So I think it's all about evaluating yourself and saying, okay, is that something I'm willing to do? Like, do I care about my time that much? And I'm really glad that I made the decision that I made because I was actually able to run a time that was probably more in line with where my fitness was at. It was still a a warm marathon that I did, but it wasn't, you know, a hundred degrees at the finish. Um, cause I didn't, I didn't train to, to do a race in that, in that sort of conditions. And it's just not what I was going for. So I think that's something that we all need to kind of ask ourselves even before we go into a training cycle is if you are kind of being risky and you're signing up for one of these June, July, August, September marathons, even May or April, um, what are you doing to prepare for the heat? Um, So if you are training for like a race in April, you're going to want to be doing heat training. It's probably not going to be super hot, but regardless you need to prepare for the heat and if you do get to a few days before the race or weeks before the race and you're realizing oh no it's going to be hot at this race are you willing to pivot and is that important to you that you are able to preserve that fitness and and do it on a day where the weather is more ideal for racing yep i was going to say the same thing you know may to september it's really risky um Mm -hmm. and so maybe it's not the best time to be doing a marathon you know if you're going after like a goal time maybe choosing a race that has a half distance um, especially if it's somewhere you want to travel to and just experience it Um, i know we've traveled to a lot of places and just done the half just because it's um, maybe it's not that most ideal time time right or we would rather do another full in an area that's going to be a little bit cooler or flatter and so um yeah finding that race that maybe has at least like a half option that you could pivot to like you're saying or just waiting and planning um, planning to do your marathon sometime between like October and March or something like that so that you're a little bit, you have a higher likelihood of um, getting better weather. Yeah. And you want to be fully aware of like what you're signing up for too. So let's say, you know, you want to run the Chicago marathon next year, just being aware of what the weather could potentially be on that day, I think gives you some sort of autonomy over the decision. So if you're really aware of like, okay, you know, there's been years where it's been 80 plus degrees. It can be sunny. It can be really hot and humid. And either A, I'm okay with that, or B, I'm going to come up with a backup plan. I think just knowing that this far in advance, it can help you mentally um, when you get close to the race because you don't want to put in all this training and then just like panic or make the wrong decision when it comes to executing on race day and so being aware um, of what the weather could potentially be and like you said anything May to September is incredibly risky when it comes to marathon race day weather you could lock out and get a great day but it's really like a giant question mark and for people who are trying to go after like a last chance BQ um, those are the final months 
for before the window closes and so that can be an added tricky thing where you know if you have a really time specific goal and the weather is just like a giant question mark you may have to be more flexible in that um with okay we're not going to do the marathon if it's 75 degrees because you know scientifically you will not be able to run to your potential and it's just not right. worth it another thing to keep in mind too would be like like start time, you know, you talk about grandma's marathon and that's a very common one up here in Minnesota in June. And, and usually like I'd say four to five years, it's pretty decent weather, right? Like it's, especially for the half, cause the half starts super early. It's like a six, six AM, six fifteen start. Um, now the full doesn't start till seven thirty, but you have to think about like, you know, if you're only running a half during the summer, you're only going to be out there less than half the time that you would be out there if you're running the marathon. And so it's a lot less suffering um, if the weather is hot mm -hmm. and then you're saving yourself for a potential race down the road where the weather is going to be cooler, you know, rather than having to just suffer through this, this midsummer marathon that you sign up for. Definitely. And one way that you can find races that are filtered by month. So let's say you're like, I really want to do a May marathon. One website that I highly recommend is findmymarathon.com and you can like filter by month and it'll tell you kind of just in a line order like the state that it's in, the course PR, um, like percentage profile. So like a course that's 100 would be, okay, that's a really fast course. But if you have a course that's like 94, it's like, ooh, there's some rollers there. <clears throat> um, so you wanna be looking at that and then if you click into any of the races, it actually shows the elevation profile right then and there. So instead of trying to like figure out what marathon you wanna do, going to the marathon race website, trying to navigate, looking at the course elevation profile on each individual website, it's all compiled on one website. So again, that's findmymarathon.com. You can literally click in and out of every single marathon. It's like listed in order and it shows you the profile of the elevation on the course, how hilly it is. And it tells you what the average weather has been the last couple of years and specifically what the temperature has been every single year, the last couple of years. So it's really data specific. And so if you're looking for something where you're like, <clears throat> I wanna make sure the race I'm doing, there's zero chance, like pretty much a zero chance <laughs> that it will be warm or like a 1%, 5%, 10%, that sort of thing. Um, this is where that website can come into play. So I like to say rule of thumb, um, mid to late October and even early April, it, April and October are hard because it can be hot and it can be okay weather. So April and October are very like iffy. It depends on where you are in the United States. And it just also happens to depend on the luck of what your weather is. Cause even at the Twin Cities Marathon, which is in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota, that's very far north. It's about as far north as you're gonna find uh, a marathon in October. It's been hot some years. <clears throat> it's usually not, but it can be warm. So we really want to make sure we're not uh, saying, okay, just because it's in the state, it's gonna be cool in October. Um, I would look more at, if you really wanna make sure that there is no heat, look at late November and like December, January marathons that are in the upper half of the United States. Yeah, like I know I have some athletes that do like 
late November marathons, and usually it's a good time. Like, I'm thinking of one in Arkansas that I didn't have to do last year. Indy's usually pretty good. Indy's always um, a win. Even yeah. is Richmond, I feel like, is pretty late, too. Richmond Marathon, I want to say. It's like November, but again, East yeah. Coast could be a little warm, but right. uh, usually good weather. And <coughs> I know there's some in like Northern California, too, um, that are usually pretty good. So, yeah, I think just looking at... Um, that, like that's a really CIM. good CIM. Yeah, CIM was, was usually good. good. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever been like a super hot year because we're talking about December at this point, and it's in the, I mean, it's like in the middle of the state, right? It's not. Yeah, super I think far. it started to get warm at the end, but again, like you, you have to, you can't expect it to be, you know, thirty degrees, um, right. unless you're really running like far north in the, you know, in like December, January, February timeframe. But um, that's a great website, you know, to to look at um, not only for the elevation but the weather as well yeah and then just going to the elevation right so some people they don't really mind if there's a lot of hills like maybe they enjoy rolling hills i've actually had some people say that they dislike the chicago marathon um and that it hurts their muscles like that their quads were like locking up or whatever and they had never had that issue before and these were people who had like PR'd on hilly courses before so they said that they would prefer a rolling hill course because they like how it changes the muscles that are being used so it's less like repetitive but I think for the most part, a lot of people like flat. It's it's pretty fast. You don't have like the ups and the downs. Um, and then it comes to downhill courses, right? So there are a number of <clears throat> marathons in the U.S. where you're going from anywhere down a mountain to part of it's downhill to it's a gradual downhill. And those are going to be your fastest courses. Now, you do need to train. If you're doing a race like Revel where you're losing upwards of 5,000 feet in a marathon, you are going to have to train specifically for that. Um, if you do not train for downhill, you may end up with a slower time. And so I really want to preface that here because I think sometimes people will sign up for any old Revel race and assume, oh, it's downhill, it's going to be fast. But there are two caveats to that. The first one I want you to look at is what is the starting altitude right. of this race? So one of the Revel races that I do not recommend doing, unless you are someone who already lives at altitude potentially, <clears throat> is the one that's in Colorado. I believe it starts at about 11,000 feet up, which is um, quite a bit altitude adjustment, especially if you're coming from sea level. Um, there may be a few others that start a little higher than, than others. So I think looking into that when you are, if you are looking at a rebel race, look at what the starting altitude is. Um, I know the one in Vegas, that one seems to be probably the most friendly because it, it does get down close to like more of a sea level ish towards the end. And so naturally it just doesn't start up that high, but you will still notice that you are at altitude. So for a lot of these races where you're going down a mountain, you do have to make some sort of adjustments for altitude. Obviously you are going downhill, so it's still, I think it outweighs any impact that altitude has, but that is a factor that you wanna look at, especially if you're someone like me coming from sea level and just not having any sort of altitude experience. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, on that site too, it, it has the um, 
the course uh, kind of color code green if it's downhill you know orange if it's kind of got rollers and then red if it's very hilly and it also has a pr score and so yeah looking at that actually clicking on the elevation to look at how much of a drop is it going to be and some of those downhill ones there might be a four or five thousand foot drop which is pretty significant you're going to need to train um, on hills you're going to need to have really like strong legs to be able to um, not fatigue down the hill Um, there are some like i think jack and jill marathon is an example where the the loss might be a lot less it might only be like a thousand or yeah it's more gradual right so not as intense and so you might be able to get away with running there and so just kind of thinking about how each course might affect you and not just which one looks the best you know right and so i've done two of the rebel races and i've also done the marquette half which has a little bit of like a, a downhill section um i will say that the rebel races if you don't train your quads for the downhills specifically it can be like disastrous i mean i saw people like pulling off like having just such intense like cramps obviously that happens in every marathon but you see it there and then not only that but i've coached people to do rebel races and sometimes you get some people it's just not for everyone and even like the coach for the rebel um, the Revel series, they have a coach there. He'll even say, you know, these races aren't necessarily for everyone. And so I think most people tend to know if they are good downhill runners or not. Um, maybe just based on how you tackle them in a race or if you've ever done any races that have a lot of rollers. Do Are you someone who is going faster on the downhills than other people around you? Do you feel better on the downhills? Whereas if you're someone who, how do you feel on the downhills? How did you know that you were not going to like love the rebel well that was the thing we picked a really intense one the cottonwood <coughs> canyon is like a f- i mean they're they're all yeah it was intense. like five thousand drop and <laughs> yeah. so like it was super intense i've never done one that's just been you know um kind of a mild downhill or loss you know um but i think that that one just surprised me because i was feeling fatigue already at like mile four and i was like whoa we still have nine more miles so it definitely works your legs differently and you know, unless you're able to kind of get out and train on some of those hills and like hammer some downhills and know how your body's going to react, it's it's tough. So that's a, that's the only risk about signing up for one of those rebel races when it mm-hmm. is that extreme. Uh, but there are some, like you mentioned Marquette. Yeah, just look at that one. That one's a lot less mm-hmm. of a drop. And so maybe just finding something like that that's maybe got a 1,000, 2,000 foot um, descent at first. And then, um, you know, once you're confident in that, then you can try something a little bit more. And there probably are some rebels that aren't as big. I know Big Bear is maybe a little bit less, mm-hmm. I want to say, but... Um, <laughs> they're all like thousands. they're all pretty bad but yeah. or starting just with a half like don't go to a rebel yeah, full without doing a rebel half that's yeah. a good a good tip because then you'll get an idea because you did the half you were you felt fine but you know if you just go and do a marathon the first time it's it's tough so yeah i would try to do maybe half first um or you could do a different type of downhill because most areas like have downhill races within like a five-hour drive right so we have like the whistle stop marathon whistle stop half both of those have like a net downhill and so it's basically on railroad tracks and it's just kind of like down down i don't know probably a couple Mm -hmm. hundred feet um and that gives you an idea for like if you like that sort of downhill um but also keep in mind that the rebel ones are a lot more extreme it's like running down a cliff um so that's something to think about, but also some people have 
what's the word? They they just kind of don't like the downhill idea. They, they don't count it. Because even mm. for, like, the Olympic trials, it, right, you it have won't. to have, like, a point-to-point. It can't be a net downhill, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's important to caveat. You can still qualify for Boston. I mean, not, you can qualify not many for, of us are going to be yeah, OTQ. So. Right. So I think yeah. for a lot of people who are listening, like, well, they're just trying the, to You can through. qualify for Boston if it's a certified course. So, well, at Rebels, are. all, all yeah, Rebels, Rebels are, are um, Boston qualifiers. Yeah. And there's a lot of downhill courses that are Boston qualifiers, like the Jack and Jills, the Tunnel Marathon, the Whistle Stop. Um, so if you are looking and you are trying to Boston qualify, like, that is your goal for next year, I'm just going to lay it out there for you. I think you should run a downhill race. Um, anything that has any sort of downhill or pancake flat. But I Pan- really Yeah, mostly flat. A lot of these are actually downhill. really, really flat. Like I clicked on one and it was, the elevation was like within 50. The that doesn't time, be, so. You can run faster downhill. So it's like, I, yeah, I think like, pick a downhill. If, you, if your goal is BQ, pick a downhill mm-hmm. course. Pick it in a time of year where it's going to be cool. And then what's it oh by alpha flies right like so really invest mm-hmm. in this goal so if you're someone who maybe you got it in the bag like you can be cute like just by jogging or whatever or by running yeah. a moderate pace then you probably don't you know need to really what would you say everything. is you know so for people that want to find maybe a flat marathon um maybe they just the idea of doing rubble doesn't appeal to them but <laughs> what would be the, uh, the the amount of gain that you would want to like stay below um like, in your opinion if I was going to do a marathon, I yeah. would look personally, if, if it could be under 250 feet that's what for I was, the whole yep, marathon, exactly. that's going to be pretty flat. I don't think you're going to be able to find something that's less than 100, less than 200. It, it would be rare. Right. Um, it'd have to be like on a beach. Uh, some of those like yep. really flat ones that are um, on, I don't know, like not yep. beaches, but just the ones like in Virginia. I, I can't think of them. I, I just asked because I, I clicked on different states and I was just kind of seeing what they had. And Delaware has a few. They have yeah. a lot of like mostly flat ones. So I just right. clicked on them to see. And yeah, a lot of them are like around that um, 200 feet gain. So I mean, yeah, that is pretty, That's pretty, pretty flat. flat. Like I can't even think of the flattest marathon we've done. Well, you've um, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, Las that Vegas was pretty flat. Um, probably yeah. Disney's probably the next. Disney's pretty yeah. flat. But again, it has like the overpasses. Yeah, but I think if you're just looking in terms of if you've done races in the past that are very hilly, and you go from doing very hilly race to something that's flatter, you're going to see a pretty large improvement. Even Grandma's Marathon is pretty flat, but I think the elevation there is probably closer to like 300 oh, at um, least. for the game, yeah. at least like three, three or 400. But again, yeah, but- it's a net, so it's a net decline. So. There's like the three or four hundred gain, but then you lose like four hundred fifty or something. Yeah, it says four seventy one um, for the game, but for grandmas, yeah, that's what it says. Well, we yeah, just... and that's the thing is you're going twenty six point two miles, and so to get something that's less than two hundred fifty feet, I mean, even when I go out on a run around here, if I go on like a seven mile run, I'm getting two hundred fifty feet um, pretty easily. So it just really depends on the location too. So if you're someone who lives in like I don't know, somewhere where it's really hilly, like Colorado potentially, um, you're probably, there's probably going to be hilly marathons near you. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be more selective maybe in really taking a very close look at what those elevation profiles look like. Um, I know for my first marathon I did, the Eau Claire Marathon, they've changed the course since then, but I kind of looked at the elevation map and I was like, oh, it doesn't look that hilly, Cause, yeah. <laughs> but you really need to study it. 
look at what have other people said for in terms of reviews um go to findmymarathon.com look and you can compare different courses on there which i really like about that website so you can say okay Maybe I want to do this Eau Claire marathon. Right. And then let's say you have the Fargo marathon. You're trying to compare those two. They're around the same time of year. It will literally tell you how much faster you would run at one of the courses versus the other based on average weather, based on the hills. So it's all just like using this data to like spit out which one's going to be faster based on like historical wow. um, weather, which <laughs> is really cool. And I've actually mm -hmm. used that before. Um, so when I ran Boston one year, I was like, okay, I want to do grandma's. Like, how much faster do you think I could run at grandma's? And it spit out for me, oh, you know, four minutes. And wow. what do I do? Go to go to grandma's and run, you know, six minutes faster. And so it's interesting right. because, you know, it, it maybe there's some truth to it. I think hills too, they, you know, they affect runners differently, right? Like some mm -hmm. people pride themselves on being stronger on hills. And so kind of the third point that we're going to be getting at here is like competition, right? You're looking at these oh, races, yeah. you're looking at the depth of the field. And for me, like I would rather run a race that's a little bit more hilly, like Twin Cities, because of the competition and the depth, rather than go out and run a pancake flat race like Whistle Stop and be by myself. Mm. I feel like I would be able to run faster having that energy, the crowd support, um, you know, other runners that I might recognize around me pushing me. Um, but so I think, yeah, you have to figure out what, how important is that level of competition to you? I know you have really enjoyed mm. some of those smaller races that you've gone to. Um, yep. and so maybe you can speak to that a little bit, but for me, it was all about, you know, I, that's why I wanted Chicago too. It was just more people to kind of run with because I found myself sort of alone in the later miles at Twin Cities. Right. Yeah. And that's really interesting. So how, have you ever done a race where you're alone and like, are you, do you have like negative thoughts or I'm just trying to figure out how someone would try to navigate and figure out if it would be better for them to do a race where there's a lot of people around versus not. Well, see, I haven't done, like, a race where it was flat and I was alone. Like, at LA, I was alone probably the last, like, 10 Well, even miles. just, at, like, a 5K. Oh, So, like, yeah, think yeah. about 5Ks you've won or whatever, and so, you're, like, alone. Yeah, I think, I think pushing it to try to hang with people or try to, like, get, get the next person or whatever, I think, for me, that's more motivating, and that can help me run a little bit faster, like, each mile. That just, um, that's going to help me stay mentally tough, I guess, and, and engaged in the race. But if I'm, like, by myself, I'm kind of in no man's land where i can't really get to the next person maybe no one's even going to catch me right um it's then it's just you against the clock and so you have to find ways to continue to, to dig deep mentally and so i don't know i just i guess i've always I, and part of that probably is in college i did a lot of races right like cross-country races track races you kind of like stay in the pack and that helped you sort of just check out stay relaxed kind of feed off the energy of other people right like maybe draft behind them a little bit um, so that they have to fight the wind more. And so I think it just allows you to kind of wait and be patient and then um, commit to that strong finish that you want to have. Um, yeah. It's just tougher for me if I'm out there alone the entire time. But Yeah, and I think it's interesting to reflect on that because as you're talking, I was like, oh, you know, a 5K and a marathon are two totally different. You know, it's a different right. like pain cave you have to push through. But then I was thinking back to like, my fastest 5Ks, like who was there kind of at the finish or the last half mile. And I wasn't, I mean, I was alone running, but there was someone that I could see, like a guy, like way ahead. Mm -hmm. And so that motivated me, just seeing someone ahead of me. Um, I don't think in a race where like I couldn't see someone, I feel like I've had those races before and they don't really go well because I'm like, where do I go? Or like you just start to... 
I don't know, lose interest. Um, but in a marathon, it is a little bit different because you're going such a long ways. And so for me, I like to do races that there aren't as many people. This is mainly the reason. It's because the first half, the first 10, 13, 14, 15 miles of a marathon, um, it's all about turning your brain off and mm-hmm. relaxing. And I think, gosh, there was a book I was reading recently by like Steve Magnus, and he said, you know, you're not going to win a race the first half of the race. You're not never going to win a race in the first half, but you can definitely lose one in the first half. Mm-hmm. And so that quote is very important. You really want to stay relaxed that first half. And for me personally, when there's a lot of people running by me and there's like people blowing by me or like just just people in my bubble, I guess you could say, I have a really hard time relaxing because I'm not used to running with hundreds of people around me. It's just kind of like overwhelming. I'm more of someone who likes to run alone. I don't really enjoy all that commotion. Um, And obviously it spreads out later in the race. And I find that that's when I can finally relax is like once it spreads out. So I like to do races where there aren't as many people just because I don't like my mind to be thinking of all these other people around me and just seeing that in my vision field it just I don't know it does Mm -hmm. something for me so knowing that about yourself right so you might be listening and be like what is she talking about but maybe you're listening you're like oh my gosh yeah I can I can totally relate to that and so that's why I've done races in the past that have less than 100 people and those were actually some of my most enjoyable marathons because it was just me and, you know, whoever I could see in my eyesight ahead of me. And you'd see, you know, a couple people here and there. But it wasn't so yeah. crowded. And I didn't have, like, anxiety at the water stop because you didn't know if you were going to get a cup or not or whatever, you know? You know, I have had, I have enjoyed being alone in the shorter races that we've done. Like, we used to do a lot of 5Ks, like, on the weekends for fun, right? And mm-hmm. um, I found myself alone a lot of the times. And that was enjoyable. But the race was much, much shorter. And I just felt like the longer I was out there... I think I I was going to do better if there were people around me mm-hmm. to help me stay motivated for longer. Um, but I totally get what you're saying, especially early on, like starting out relaxed, running your own race, not getting too carried away. Um, that can really derail a lot of people. Like I had some athletes, um, you know, like you said, they kind of ruined their, their race in the first half because oh, yeah. they went out way too hard. And so, um, yeah, definitely something to think about, like the level of competition, the energy, the crowd support, all of that, how that might affect your race as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and well, and that's the other thing is I think of I've had a lot of races where I've I've negative split marathons before, obviously, but I've also positive split uh, significant amount. I've ex- like an extreme positive split, and the races that I've had the worst possible pacing execution. 100% they were crowded races. It was like me being just sucked in. It's And it's really hard when you don't have a lot of experience um, being in those environments or you have all that like race day energy. So just knowing how that impacts you, if you are someone that has gone out fast in the past or you just know that like being around a lot of people maybe gives you some anxiety, Taking that into consideration when you're picking your goal races can be helpful. I like doing more of the low-key races just because I like the low-key atmosphere. Um, I don't like all the hype and the cheering and stuff. It just makes me, you know, mess up the first half of my race usually. Or it gives, it's a chance where I'm like draining my energy overthinking it the first half of the race. Being like, you have to stay relaxed, you have to stay relaxed and all that stuff. Um... So competition is important, I think, to look at that, knowing what you thrive off of. 
Um, so the California International Marathon, the year that we did it in 2018, it was a really big year for like most people to qualify for the 2020 Olympic trials. I believe there was just like a sea of people wearing like these orange shoes. It was like the <laughs> first year, the four percents were out and it was fun and it was exciting. And I think in that case where you're trying to run those OTQ times, having people around because you're really, um, you're going fast like from the gun. And a lot of these people, they're like gun set, they're gonna go out on pace because there's just not a lot of room for error there like it you have to start out at the pace um and i think a lot of people ended up getting it and a lot of that had to do with running together running as a group and you know if you're running that fast it's pretty rare that you go to a marathon there's a lot of people to run with and so i think that's why everyone's like oh let's all go to you know cim and i'm pretty sure like most coaches said oh yes send all of our super fast people otq people to these specific races and you'll find that there are some races where you wouldn't expect that there would be a really fast um, field up front like that Um, like maybe Houston for example you it's just like those are known to be the ones that a lot of those OTQ hopefuls go to CIM Houston uh, grandma's right there I mean there's big races but they're not they're not like the Chicago Marathon, right? And the reason I think these coaches and athletes pick these races is because they're some of the fastest courses out there. Yep, fast course and fast people. So that's kind of where you kind of got away the options, right? Like yep. what what do you think is going to help propel you to the next level or help you run the fastest? Um, and then figure out kind of the best combination of all three, right? I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to. Or maybe it is just uh, – maybe all you really need is just good weather in a flat course and you'll suffer alone you know you find the rinky dink race in uh in december (laughs) in a podunk town or something like that but i think uh if you can at least get two out of the three uh in into your favor i think that um you can still do well have if one of those other ones might be a little bit off like maybe it is a little bit warmer than you anticipated or the course is kind of hilly but you're well trained it's really cool out. There's a lot of fast people there. And that's where, like CIM, there are some rollers there in the first half. It's not like it's pancake flat, but people still run really, really fast there because the other factors, I think, are, right. are on point for that day. Right. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's sounding a little neurotic, right? It's like, oh, you have to, it has to be perfect weather. It has to be, you have to have competition or like know yourself. And like, there's so many factors that go into it. But at the same time, it's like you're training for one specific event and you really have to know like what your goal is. And so, if, I mean, I've coached so many athletes over the years and a lot of people I don't think are that neurotic about have to run like this time at a very time specific. But there are people where it's like, you know, the time is everything. And so if you're listening and you're like, I really want to run the fastest possible time. I want to do everything possible. I think it's really good to invest in traveling to some of the fastest possible courses where you can get the most out of your fitness. So whether that's like a CIM, a Houston situation where it's a fast course or grandma's or that's a downhill course, like a revel race, um, doing some of those faster races during times of year where you know weather is going to be good is highly beneficial to you. But if you're someone who is in that other camp of, yeah, I would like to run fast, but 
that's not everything to me mm-hmm. and I just want to kind of experience it and I know there's going to be more races and it doesn't it, I wouldn't be super upset if I didn't run x time then I think you know be, you can be a little bit more open and, and flexible with the sort of marathons that you're looking at and maybe looking at other factors so maybe you're like oh I want to go to somewhere which like really pretty in the fall or I want to go somewhere like a tourist destination those are all things that you can look at. So again, it's just like defining what is your goal. So how, what percentage of people you coach do you think are really just like gun ho on like the, I have to run a certain time. I want to run my fastest time. Oof, that's really tough. I think, you know, I would say maybe a good chunk, like half my athletes, they want to run like a PR, right? And the other half, I think just want to do better than they've done in the recent past maybe it's get back to the level of fitness they haven't been at in years or just like stay more consistent right um but yeah that that's a tough call i think um i feel like only like maybe like 20 percent of the people i coach 20%. would go to like the extents that i'm oh, talking yeah, about yeah. of like revel Travel and like and all that crazy yeah. i agree yeah i think but a lot of people they want that that result they do but i think they're not willing to like they won't. talk about all these factors that we just talked about yeah, today and it's, i feel something, like it's an uncomfortable conversation right and something we didn't even talk about was like the lead up races right because mm-hmm. like if you never race you, you can't really just expect to go out and hammer at your a race and, and meet your goal right like you have to go through um some other races where you're you're really having to um rise rise through challenges right and so if you know you're going to do kind of a hillier marathon, like like New York or something, maybe find a 10K or a 10-mile race that's kind of hilly in your cycle somewhere um, so that you're prepared. Or find two races, um, that sort of thing. Or, you know, run a 5K in July or something if, you're, if you have a September-October race and it could be hot. So, Definitely. yeah, being prepared, I think, is really important. Right. And then it's also like you don't want to over-race. So I know we talked about selecting mm-hmm. races for next year, and it's like some people, like my parents, they don't care if I mention one year. They... They just love to race, race, race. It's all about what half marathons can we do? And sometimes, you know, it's just that gentle reminder of, okay, well, we're not going to race every race. Right. And we want to make sure, like, every run has a purpose and that we're having adequate recovery in between. So there are some people that I coach um, who, like my parents, I coach them, who it's like, okay, if you can actually take these half marathons pretty easy, then that's fine. But if you're someone who just like can't turn it off and you're just like ultra competitive, it's probably best that we maybe only select like two races in the buildup. Um, like if it's a 16, 18, 20 week cycle, you could do two races in addition to your A race. But I, I think we really have to be cognizant and aware of, am I gonna be someone that, you know, hammers it too hard if I sign up for all of these races where I say I'm going to do it as a workout. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, there's, there's each race can have its own purpose, right? So there might be a time where you do a half, you know, with some pace work at marathon and so you're practicing the routine, you're practicing fueling, um, you get your hydration stops all planned out so you don't have to coordinate that. And so there are some benefits of doing that sort of thing. Um, and then there's also the benefits of doing some other shorter races, but really pushing it so that you're used to, um, kind of suffering a little bit and like you know how do you how did how did you react to that did you kind of give up did you mentally check out did you stay focused and engaged um and i think having certain things to work on too with not just races but like key workouts like key hard sessions like with uh, pacing and negative splits all of that is going to help i think build confidence which you need to have going into an a race yeah definitely and there's just so many factors here and everyone's probably like what this is there isn't like a clear-cut answer 
But I think the clearest cut answer we can give you is pick a super flat course, go to findmymarathon.com, either uh, 99% PR rating or higher. So if it's like 103, it's like even better, right? So you yeah. want to pick a, a downhill, look at that elevation profile. So even if it's a revel race, like I know Big Cottonwood, the marathon, <laughs> yes, it was downhill, but there was also an uphill. So you really want to be looking at it, making sure like you're not being like pulled over by anyone, right? Um, so look at the elevation, know what you're getting into, and then trying to select races that are in November, December, January, February, <laughs> if you want to be super safe or just being okay with, okay, if it is an April race, we might have to be doing some heat training like in the sauna, heated yoga, yeah. whatever it may be to prepare for those elements. So here in Minnesota, I've done several spring marathons and I am not you we wouldn't be heat acclimated if we ran outside because in march it's zero degree negative um so for the marathon i did in april in las vegas it was 70 degrees at the finish which really isn't that hot but if you're coming from your longest long run being in 10 degrees it's quite the shift and so one thing that i did was some heat training things like I went to heated yoga um, two to three times a week. So it was like heated to 99 degrees or whatever in the room. Um, and I think that helped a lot with the heat acclimation part of things. So you're gonna wanna be doing things if the race could potentially be warm where you are prepared for what that heat would be. I think fall races in October or September are a better bet because if it is warm, you chances right. are have that heat acclimation from all of the summer's worth of training. Yeah, good point. Um, you know, the sauna is definitely a way to heat acclimate too. Like I, I've read studies, like if you, it can only take 15 days to actually get right. benefits. And so, um, but if you're consistent with that throughout your training, you're gonna be prepared for your race. So um, you gotta find a way to heat acclimate if you're in the Northern, you know, part of the hemisphere and you're doing a race in the spring and it could be warm. Yep, definitely a lot of factors to chat about and hopefully this gives you some ideas for planning. Um, I know a lot of people, that's why we're talking about it right now because it's like most people don't have next year planned out and this is the time where people are kind of taking some downtime after their marathon. Maybe you don't really care that much about your running right now, but it gives you something to kind of look at in your free time, downtime, maybe at work, right? Pull up that tab, findmymarathon.com and just start like, hey, yeah, I'm working here, you know, working hard or hardly working, but you're working on your running schedule. So that's <laughs> pretty important, right? People need to be planning. You gotta have goals outside of your work life, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> but anyway. I think the longer your race is too, the more important this stuff becomes, right? Because you're out there for longer and so, it's one thing to run a 10K if it's a little hot or hilly, right? But um, to be out there for 26 miles or even a half, that's that's a lot longer. And so, um, yeah, you gotta be very selective, I think, about these races, especially since you probably only do, you know, a couple a year, right? There's fewer opportunities to do them as opposed to a 5K. Definitely. Well, hopefully this was a useful podcast. And I know sometimes it can be overwhelming to think about what our training is going to be for next year or help with selecting races and just having someone in your corner to support your goals and your journey to those goals and how to get from point A to point B. And so that's why working with a coach can be a total game changer. Having that outside perspective, having that accountability and motivation and someone in your corner to help you achieve your goals is huge. And we offer a free seven day trial so you can connect with the coach have all of your questions answered and get a free week of training custom 100 specific to you based on your current fitness levels your goals and all of those things so if you're interested in that you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com 
Again, that's a free seven day coaching trial. It's a great opportunity for you to connect with a coach. Even if you have never worked with a coach before, or you're just unsure of what is working with a coach, that's why we offer the trial so that you can see what it's all about and join if you want to. And if not, you can just say, yeah, thanks for showing me the trial or whatever. Um, again, that's www.run4prs.com.